1: well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through. 2012 edition so it ain't nothing to you Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend The King of these for Angelo Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end With my man Jim On the 500 Talking the 500 until the end
2: Second
3: Bob Dylan record for me. The second one I've listened all the way through. You're gonna have to wait until the episode gets going before you find out how I feel. The song is Tweedledee and Tweedledee Dumb. It's by Bob Dylan from his 2001 album, Love and Theft. It's also number 385 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, Fleece Army? Guess what? We got a new president today. It's a whole new world, a new exciting point of view. No more tweeting or mistreating. Mexicans at the border and if you voted for the other guy that's not in the office anymore I feel for you too but whatever man I'm happy and you should be too because we got a brand new episode and it's Bob Dylan this week have you guys been watching the podcast Because every Wednesday, we publish the full episode on our Patreon. $5 a month to join the Patreon. If you are supporting the Patreon and the podcast, we appreciate it so much. And you get to support it by going to patreon.com backslash 500podcast. Join the movement. Videos on Patreon, Wednesday. For everybody else, on Thursday. And we got some really, really cool stuff planned on the Patreon. But you got to join because we got a lot of people uh, that work really hard on this. And, uh, you know, it's ad sales. No more Spotify. No more Spotify. We should go to title. All right. Like I said at the beginning, Bob Dylan. Man, I don't know how I feel about this dude. I respect him. I am. I totally get it. Like, I get it. I'm not saying I don't get it. But I don't know if starting at the end was the way to go for me. But if you don't know about him, let's find out. Released September 11th of 2001 on Columbia Records. It's self-produced under the pseudonym Jack Frost. This is the 31st studio record by American singer-songwriter and voice of a generation, Bob Dylan. Now, before this one, if everybody remembers, we did Time Out of Mind. That was a record right before it. If you want to listen, I did it with Rita Wilson. And we did a big history of Bob Dylan. So listen to that, because I'm not going through it again. So, producer Daniel Lanois did both the highly successful 89 Dylan album, Oh Mercy, and 97's Time Out of Mind," which went on to win Grammy for Album of the Year. So, with this solid career resurgence, his next album was very, very highly anticipated. But, due to the often strained relationship between him and Lanois, by the way, I want to let you guys know, I like really out of practice to get this guy's last name, Lanois, because I would have called it Lanois if somebody didn't tell me ahead of time. Dylan chose to go back to self-producing under a pseudonym, Jack Frost. So with Dylan on vocals, guitar and piano and his touring band, a multi-instrumentalist, Larry Campbell, guitarist, Charlie Sexton, bassist, Tony Garnier, drummer, David Kemper, percussionist, Clay Myers, spelled my way, M-E-Y-E-R-S, And an added keyboardist, Augie Myers, once again spelled like me, like the lemon. All the songs were recorded in only 12 days. His engineer, Chris Shaw, was surprised at how quickly Dylan would try and then abandon an arrangement on his way to what would fit the vocal and lyric. According to Shaw, Dylan would say, What's the tempo? Let's do it in F and drop the tempo down and do it like a western swing tune. And I want the drummer to play brushes, not drums and suddenly the song was completely different. Nothing was set in stone until he found the key, tempo, and style that fit that vocal and the lyric. In describing this album, Dylan said, basically the songs deal with what many of my songs deal with, which is business, politics, and war, and maybe love interest on the side. The whole album deals with power, If life teaches us anything, it's that there's nothing that men and women won't do to get power. You know, that's just true. The album deals with power, wealth, knowledge, and salvation. The way I look at it. I think you're right, Bob. And at 63 years old, Dylan expressed those views like a travelogue through America's pre-rock and roll music history, including Chicago blues, country swing, ragtime, rockabilly, Tin Pan Alley, Torch songs, the stuff of vaudeville burlesque and minstrel shows and it's from a book about the racist 19th century musical art form that dylan got the album's title despite the unfortunate release date of september 11th love and theft was well received reached number five on the billboard 200 chart it was another critical success topped the year's best records in many publications including the village voice and Rolling Stone Magazine, and it won that year's Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Folk Album. I mean, if Dylan's releasing a record, it's gonna win something. That's just how, at this age, that's how it goes. As for the guest today, I hate to say that I, I, I knew of the band, but now I'm a fan. So I'm just, just going to say that as a blanket statement across all the bridges. My guest today, is one of the co founding members of the LA punk band X, the one and only John Doe. If you don't know X's music, just start at Los Angeles and fucking go, because that record slaps balls. It is awesome. They just released their first new album in 35 years last April during lockdown. It's called Alphabet Land, and it's critically hailed across the board. He's also uh, part of the rockabilly group, The Knitters. Uh, he's an actor uh, He's dude he was in fucking Roadhouse Roadhouse with and John and my buddy Tom DeSavia released two books More Fun in the New World and Under the Big Black Sun which covers the LA punk scene from basically 1977 to 1987 man oh man oh Shevitz. this episode is a doozy I had such a good time recording with him you guys are going to love it. If you're a Dylan fan, you're going to dig it. If you're an X fan, you're really
2: going to dig it.
3: Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500. Listen free on all platforms. If you listen on Apple, leave us a five star rating and leave a review. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and go to my website, joshadammyers.com, to find podcast links, to find shows, clips, everything. All there, joshadammyers.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or concerns or just want to tell us to fuck off. Follow the Facebook group 500 Podcast with Jam, run by the Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say but hey, Bob Dylan, do you want to take this? Here we go with number 385 out of 500 Love and Theft by me, Bob Dylan. What's up, Fleece Army? This episode is brought to you by the Kratom experts at Super Speciosa. If you haven't heard of Kratom, it is an herbal supplement much like CBD. Instead of coming from the hemp plant, Kratom is from a plant related to the coffee tree. And Kratom is a natural energy booster without the jittery feeling you get from coffee or energy drinks. And it's also helpful in recovering after a long day or a tough workout. Two years ago I started taking it in the morning and I am telling you the focus that I get from it, the energy that I get from it, the lack of anxiety that I get from it, incredible. For me, Kratom is like the holy grail of supplements. Green in the morning, red at night to go to sleep. The truth is, other Kratom brands out there are putting a bunch of junk in their stuff. Super Speciosa contains only one ingredient and that is Kratom leaves crushed up into powder, Boom, simple, done. Every single batch is put through a natural cleaning process to eliminate germs and to protect you, the consumer. The Kratom is then tested, sifted, blended, and screened for potency and carefully packaged in a lab-grade facility. If you are buying Kratom from your local store, that is a big mistake. You will save yourself a ton of money and get better Kratom by shopping with Super Speciosa. Plus, they're offering our listeners in the Fleece Army 20% off the first order. So go to getsuperleaf.com slash 500. Once again, superleaf.com slash 500 and get 20% off your next order. We're going to post the link in our show notes so it's easy for you guys just to click and take advantage of this offer. We thank Super Speciosa for sponsoring this podcast. It helps me. It can help you too. Try it out.
4: I I, I don't happen to be on tour right now. I don't think anybody's (laughs) on tour right now. Well, you said you were in Austin. I haven't been out of, well, anyway.
3: Let's go. No, no, no. I was in. No, we're recording. This is the show. We actually started without you even knowing it as soon as you shit on me being on tour and you being an author. But I'll be back. I'll be back for Moon Tower Comedy Festival in September of 2021, which mm-hmm. uh, you'll be a guest to the, come to the jam and come to the 500 taping and all the other shit I do. Uh-huh. All but right. You, but you, and, but you ha- the only way I'll make it happen is you have to invite our mutual friend, Tom DeSavia.
4: Oh, God. Yes. Everybody knows Tom DeSavia.
3: Everybody knows Tom. And he's going to love that I'm name dropping him right off the jump. I don't I even know how I became friends. with You know what? You know what? He helped us book this show. We had some, we were trying to find, uh, I forgot, I forget what album. And it's just like the most random people in the music industry. He was just throwing up and he was like, what about this person? What yeah. about the basis for the Bengals? What about, and it's just like, yeah. dude, he knows everybody.
4: Yeah, he's been in the freaking music business for 40 30 some years, you know. That's insane because he looks like he's 30. <laughs> right? I'll like, tell him you said that.
3: Th- okay, good. Um so so yeah, let's get into it because this is a thicky of a record, man. This is this is Bob Dylan, this is our second Bob Dylan record that we've done on the podcast. Um you know, before I give my thoughts, you know, uh, Tom and, our, and, and and everybody has said that you are a huge Bob Dylan fan, much like everybody else. So why don't you take me, just take me right from the beginning. Tell me about the first time you heard Bob Dylan.
4: Oh, uh, well, that's a long time ago because I'm 85, you know, I don't know, I look pretty good. I know I look really good for 85. Retinol? Vitamin C oil? What are you doing, bro? Yeah, it's nothing. Um, <laughs> Living. Uh, it's really hard to get this stripe in my hair though. Somebody asked me, "Is that dyed?" and I said, "No, you dumbass." Whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I had an older brother and I'm of a certain age. So I I think uh, you know, he's like traditional 4 years older and crap like that. You know, I I, I told your partner here that that uh I grew up in Baltimore.
0: Wait, wait. For,
4: other, well, I, well I heard the
3: I just heard the accent. So yeah. So here's how we're going to test how how bad uh, a Baltimore accent you have. Say Hall and Oats." <laughs> if, if it comes out like this, if it comes out like Hall and Oats,"
4: Hall and Hall My favorite song is I Can't Go For That. <laughs> no, come on. Get out of here. No, what are you talking I'm about? Going downtown. Are you going down the ocean? I'm going down Ocean City, you know.
3: Dude, I hooked up with a girl from Ocean City once, and I swear to God, she said to me, "Let's go by the ocean. Let me give you a blow job." I was like, "What? <laughs> a oh blow Lord. job?
4: <laughs> Yikes!" No, I, I, I was, I was there in Baltimore in uh, uh, Fell's Point back in the uh, back in the good old days when it wasn't full of, when it was full of sailors and and Greek crazy people and bums and all kinds of shit like that. It was. Awesome. It's still the same.
3: I was just there yesterday. I was just there yesterday, bro. It
4: got invaded. It got invaded by frat boys from Towson like years and years ago. Yep. That that was me. (laughs) It's it's all good. But uh, I think the first record I heard was probably uh, Highway 61 and then uh, Blonde on Blonde. But the one that, that, uh, you know, was kind of like more my record because I was maybe 14 or something like that was uh, John Wesley Harding. And that was the one that that really like you know hooked me and stuff, and then of course, when I was like uh you know early late late teens, early twenties, and I was listening to all the older stuff you know like um another side of and and uh bringing it back home and all that jazz but um you know i i'm i'm not a um I'm not a scholar of bob dylan and and i I kind of resist that because there's plenty of um there's plenty of that there's plenty of people that that can do that <clears throat> and and like that and and I don't I I think that uh you know being a, a writer and a songwriter myself I think that, that a lot of stuff Bob's doing is uh is just for the hell of it and he's and he's doing it he's doing it because it sounds good because it feels good because he wants to just you know fuck with people and and it's it has meaning to him but it's probably much more personal and and different than the, than the meaning that that is ascribed to it. Um, I, you know, not to say that, that he's not, you know, pulling out quotes and and making mentions of people that is leaving it up in the air, leaving it to the, to the, you know, interpreter, whoever wants, however people want to interpret it. Um, Because I know for a fact that, that he, he kind of loves Oh, dude, dude, it's so funny that you said you said you
3: jumped off uh, right off top by saying scholars, because there are at least 20 websites that are dedicated to breaking down every lyric that he has ever done. And they're all conflicting. And one saying this is about God and one saying, nope, it's about a girl. And one saying, no, it's about Jesus. It's just it's just all over the place. Um, all right, so, so you started, you know, with, with the, the, the albums you mentioned uh, from my understanding, cause I'm not the biggest Bob Dylan fan. This is literally the second full Bob Dylan record I've ever listened to all the way through the, the first being time out of mind, the album right before this one. So, so you started right at, you know, all the stuff you mentioned are some of his greatest records. So now we've gotten 30 years. Am I right or wrong? 30 years into his career at this point when this record came out
4: about that uh well 60 no it'll be more like 40 years so this was this was released in 20, like
3: 9 11 2001
4: yeah so he was playing in the freaking early 60s so yeah
3: so then why is so, 40 years so 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 i can see why people love the earlier stuff because I, I understand what's going on at the time and how ahead of his time he is but this older stuff so how do you feel about this record?
4: Oh, I think it's the you know this was the first time that he just trusted it himself because, <laughs> according to uh, you know Chronicles that book he wrote, uh, Daniel Lenoir was just uh, mean, <laughs> just downright cruel, you know, uh, making him like uh, question his ability and his purpose and songwriting and and all that stuff. And it's like uh, I, I actually hate Daniel Lenoir's production. I can't stay. I think, I think Daniel Lenoir is is one of the only people that could make Emmylou Harris sound like she doesn't sing well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much compression. There's so much shit added onto it, you know, with Bob's voice and time out of mind, you know, he gets into like fucking Satchmo territory and it's like, that ain't, you know, you don't have to do that. And, and so this, this record is where he like took the reins back, took his power back and and anytime he's playing with um with Charlie Sexton uh who's a pal of mine too uh it's better i mean when charlie was out of the band it was not as good and when charlie's back in the band it's better cuz charlie is uh just gifted and and he he let the band you know that he'd been playing with for some time then you know Tony Garnier and and uh the rest of them he let them Kind of realize his you know bob's love of jump blues and uh you know delta blues and and you know even older uh kind of um uh tin pan alley songs and and stuff like that so it's like he's you know I was on some listening uh thing for uh, um for this last record that he did and and someone had a had a pretty good point which was uh Uncle Bob's muse is history. You know, and it always has been. You know, he 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 wanted to be a a black sharecropper back in 64 <laughs> or 63, you know, when he's going out and playing folk songs in the, you know, like Woody Guthrie. Um and and that's why the Todd Haynes movie was so good because it was all these you know different characters that that he could inhabit. So um, yeah, I, I mean, he he he's loving history. So he this this love and theft is kind of to me, is kind of like, I love this music and I can do it. I can do it in my own way, and I can I can uh, you know, get a bunch of uh, I don't know. Somebody said it was minstrel. Uh, yeah, had a had a you know a nod to to like uh you know emancipation emancipation and and minstrel show and and all that kind of stuff and and he you know i think he like kind of embraced his uh his song and dance man you know yeah
1: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper a high fiver
3: So I so so going with what you're saying, uh, he got the title for the record from Eric Lott's 1993 book, Love and Theft, Blackface, Minstrelsy and the American Working Class, which explored the racist, the racial and racist components of this popular American musical art form of the early 19th century, which is funny that we're having that we're having you on to talk about that because on your first album, Los Angeles, uh, which is still one of your most popular. And, uh, you described uh, a racist character escaping the city's diversity with the type of language, uh, she would likely use. And right before this, we did Randy Newman's good old boys which has which has a song rednecks on it. Uh, and he had said that he wished he could have had, could have used another word, uh, but for the recording and for the writing, it was truthful. And this then this also reminds me of uh, Bob Dylan's Hurricane. Uh, so so before we get into this record, I feel like it's a perfect time to ask you because it, it's you brought it up. Did people misunderstand the context on either side of the issue for Los Angeles? Uh,
4: um, not up until about two or three years ago when, you know, uh, cancel culture uh, became so... Um, influential you know and and i understand it and and it's you know the the whole purpose of of using the n-word in los angeles is to hold a mirror up to people it's like you see this this is what people are saying and this is still true and this is 1980 and what in the fuck are you doing about it and and you know are really this can is this still happening and and so uh obviously we weren't aware of of the uh, you know how hurtful it was um for for a big group of people I can't say that that x had a a, a huge uh african american following but there was a lot of diversity in the uh in the l a punk rock scene and it's like if you want if you wanted to suffer the abuse of being uh associated with the punk rock scene uh you know whatever else you were you know that's probably more than you're gonna get as what whatever you are. You know, gay or you know whatever. So uh, yeah. Uh, and at this point, we we sing. Uh, uh, she started to hate every Christian and Jew instead of N word and Jew. But. just keep Jews.
3: Make sure you keep Jews. That's the important part. We, we oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah
4: because everybody hates Jews and yeah. But I I, I don't I, I don't feel I don't feel bad about it because at that point. There was there was something within um artistic expression that you know if you were you know if you were adopting it, if you were saying it through a character that that it it was acceptable just like some you know some of uh Robert maplethorpe's photographs were unacceptable or you know certain books uh, get banned from libraries because they're you know too sexy or or whatever. Um, I, I think it's, you know, I get it and, and I'm, and I'm down with it because I, I want to be, you know, part of the solution, not part of the problem, but there's, a um, yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a weird place to be.
3: I mean, there's things that are, you know, like, I mean, blazing saddles by Mel Brooks. It's, it was a hysterical movie, but I, I remember in 2001, right around the time this album came out, you know, uh, we were watching it and and uh, there was one of my friends, uh, my roommates from black friends saw it and he was just like, Jesus Christ. And I was like, well, I mean, but they're making fun of the those people, like not the actual word. And it's just, you know, but years later, it just gets misconstrued. But I think... I
4: don't, I don't think it is. I don't think it is misconstrued. I think it's just, uh, you know, overlooked it's there ha the the pendulum has to swing back before it can you know uh get get in the middle maybe I, i'm not sure um as a as an older white male i'm totally prepared to take my lumps and to shut the fuck up <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> and and i and i wish that there were a lot of other people that were that were, that would recognize that and just say no i'm i'm going to step away from my motherfucking ego and 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 say yeah what else? What else do I do? I need to learn. What else do I need to hear? What else do I need to, um, you know, get behind? Because, because I, I want, yeah. I think. Well, I think you said something
3: really, really relevant uh, about this record and that, which is, you know, Bob Dylan's not trying to be make a you know a a blanket racist statement as as the album title by taking it from that other title he's trying to show this side of americana cuz that's kind of what this album is it's him finding all these different pieces, which, and you can see that in the different styles of music where one is like a bluegrass and one's a country and then one's almost a jazz standard. And then it's, he's all over the place uh, with it. So uh, I feel I can see, definitely see the similarities,
4: but it's all coming. It's it's all coming from black roots. Yes, for sure. You know, ex- except for maybe the, the, the um, you know, the bluegrass thing, but banjo was a, a originally, a, you know, in the deep South and came from Africa. So I don't think he's I don't no, I don't think it's it's like he wishes that he could have been part of the minstrel show. It's more like um I, I'm going behind that. I'm I'm going back to to like emancipation. A, a lot of this could have you know, and, and this is something that I'm working on a, a new record, is uh writing a record that is that, that doesn't have telephones, doesn't have um airplanes and is like pre-industrial, pre-industrial revolution. And John Wesley Harding was a little bit like that. So uh, all, all these images don't, don't have anything to do with like the modern world. It, uh, and, and it's it's showing his love of history and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm still kind of jealous that he pulls out all these crazy fucking uh, images. But he's good at that. He is. So. Uh, like I said earlier this is my second Bob Dylan
3: record that I've really I, I know man I know yeah,
4: you, you know what that's a that's a beautiful thing you got you got a lot of um, wonderful experiences ahead of you
3: you a hundred percent right. But I don't think starting on these two records is where to start. <laughs> because I want I want like Bob where he's like,
2: hey the body, who, ha?
3: I don't want this like this is, the to, skeet up, I, is that a good impersonation, John? That's a great that's a great impersonation. Thank you very much. I I'm gonna need some positive <laughs> information. So I'm, I have to say this before I go, go any further. I totally respect Bob Dylan. I respect everything about the guy. Uh, and I respect this record. That being said, like I said, I don't think I should have started with these two uh, because I don't think it's going to make me a fan any quicker. I, I, I love the music, but my only note about this record before we dive into the songs, because there are moments that I fucking fell in love with. I just think every song is just a little too long. I think that he could have cut a minute, a minute and a half from every... There's a couple songs that were three minutes. And I was like, that was great. What was wrong? Why can't that one? Why can't the other
4: nine songs be three minutes long? Bob. Yeah, don't start with Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. Oh, my God. Although, talk about a fucking Love Jones. Yeah. You can write a 17-minute song that's, like, all words, and it's all about, like one person that's a love jones
3: he's he's the man i'm not like i dude i love everything about him
4: yeah i see the the whole thing that's that's, that like is part of um i'm having fun shit's coming why i don't i don't have to edit myself who cares if you don't like it you can lump it you know just kind of it's you know kind of like I I I love this. I'm having a good time. And and I think that that it, uh like there's a lot more records of his that are that are less exuberant and and this one is cuz he's cuz the band is having a great time and so he's saying, "Yeah, let's keep going." I love this groove. And and I know for a fact that a lot of times he'll write a song uh as the like have the band just hit a groove. And just, okay, play, keep going on this thing. And so it becomes, you know, not a jam session, but it's like, it is, it is a groove.
3: Yeah. But he, and then I, I found out uh, through my writer, Morty, that he would play the song. They'd be like, I right, do a country and he'd be like, nah, I don't like that. Nah, do a bluegrass. And then they'd do a bluegrass. Nah, I don't like that. And he would just go and go. But then surprisingly, this was only, this only took two weeks to record. You know, he sat down, you know, they came right in, they, they, he worked through it and and this is what he got. And maybe that's why, you know, because as Morty was explaining to me, cause I'm, like I said, I don't know all the history of Bob Dylan, but he would say that, uh, that Bob would, he, they would, they would just set it up, set the mics up and, and, and not adjust it. He was trying to go for this older style of recording, uh, like they did, you know, in the, in the fifties and in the sixties, cause he wanted to capture that 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 beauty that 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 was older music
4: yeah well that's the only that's the only decent way to record anyhow oh the only other the the other kind of recording where people are you know flying tracks around and and uh you know coming into the studio at different times you can make something that that sounds pleasant but there's no mojo there's no soul there's no um bleed there's no there's no something that that is like indescribable so i mean yeah you can you can make a, a a good, I guess, sounding record Um, if that's, if that's what you like, you know, if if that's, if that's your thing.
3: Well, how similar were the recording processes, you know, from what Bob Dylan did to what, to what X did?
4: Uh, Virtually the same. We're all in a room and we just played songs. And I mean, we did overdub vocals, which I I think these, these vocals are probably, uh, I would guess mostly live, but that's the way that I, I record solo stuff is just, you get in a room and you put up enough um, soundproofing to, to make sure that, that the bleed between one microphone and another isn't isn't going to fuck you at the end, you know? You're going to screw up stuff at, as you're mixing. You can't turn something down because there's too much of that in another microphone. And you just go because really what you're doing is making a record, uh, a, a record of the, or, or, you know, you're, you're recording a moment. And, and you can, it it isn't just that it's right, uh, because so what? Big deal, right. You know, what you want to do is you want to get, uh, you want to get something across. You want to get, give somebody a feeling. You want to make them feel something. And the best way to do that is to have something that's, uh, you know, just fucking real and, and right there. So.
3: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, but with, by hearing that from you and then hearing, you know, of how Bob Dylan recorded this, see, these are the little things that make me love it even more. By the end of this episode, I'm going to get a Bob Dylan tattoo. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get gristled. I want to see that. Uh, I do. I want to see
4: that. All right, so well, you it me a picture.
3: All right, I'll 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 get your number. I'll get your number through Tom and we'll make this happen. <laughs> All right, let's dive into the record cuz this this really is. I just want to tell the fleece army, I am not shitting on Bob Dylan everybody. It's like we dude, I just we should have started at number 1 and gone up. Like that's what we should have done.
4: No, well, but you're but you're just following the the, the 500 right No, I mean, But we we
3: should have started at 1 and gone up cuz then I would have heard Highway uh what, what, 61 revisited and I would have heard uh, blonde on blonde and blood on the tracks. And dude, right now I'd be like, Oh my God. I mean, tweedily D tweedily dumb is he's talking about this and it reminds me of X and Y and Z. And right now I'm just like, I don't, I mean, maybe it kind of reminds me of everybody might get stoned.
4: Yeah. the, 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 the one thing you're missing is, uh, is Bob's a great singer. And, and at this point in his life, he doesn't have the 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 range and the, but he's got the soul. So it's like, um, you know, Whitney Houston is a is a great singer, but I'd rather listen to, uh, Billie Holiday or Edith Piaf or or someone who just has this, um, you know, life that they've lived behind them. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you know, you got you got some good things to because to, cause Bob's a great singer you know uh, even even on the on the songs that uh, are the records that people hate like saved and slow train coming where it's there's supposedly the you know religious the Jesus records and stuff like that he's a kick ass singer his tone is totally weird and you either like that or you don't but he's a he his uh you know ability to invent stuff and and just and he never sings things the same way twice and it's pretty great i mean I've seen a couple of concerts where <laughs> uh where i was like what fucking song is this oh this is like a rolling stone huh all right cool <laughs> he's doing the remix oh shit Did dj Khalid uh-huh. produce he's killing it i saw so, him live
3: i talked about this last time i saw him live uh the Rackin Tours open forum at george mason university and uh we went specifically to see the raconteurs because of a friend knew the the band manager and that was so first time I'm ever seeing Bob Dylan he's like in the back he's not even up front like he's got almost his he's got like his shoulder to the audience I mean this is 2007 maybe and I remember I was just I mean one I was way too stoned but I was like I was like yeah man I just I just don't know if this is for me and. Um, and I'm glad I had those experiences and then started doing this because it's, listen, it's, it's growing. It's just a hard nut to crack. And to be honest with you, John, and this is going to give you uh this is giving you kudos. I feel more comfortable saying that. I don't know if I get Bob Dylan yet to you than I did to Rita Wilson, the guest on uh, our first episode. We did time out of mine. I, I couldn't, she, she was such a fan that I was like, I just, I can't tell her that I dislike this record as much as she loves it. And I was like, I, so, so I get along with you. That's what I'm saying. I can vibe with you. Very easy going vibe.
4: Well, uh, up to a point.
3: Okay.
4: Good. <laughs> All right. Let's, if let's, you start uh, talking shit about John Waters, then, then we're going to have a dude, problem. Dude,
3: dude. Hairspray. Hairspray. Just, and I'm not even going to do his earlier work. Like we, but I'm just saying just from Hairspray. And I met him too. He came to my he came to Towson University when I was one of the frat boys destroying Fell's Point. Uh, and and uh, no, it's I wasn't really a frat boy. I was never in a frat. I was just a just a drunk Jewish guy walking around Baltimore on a lot of cocaine. It was it was fun time, for me, dude. Fun time, dude. Eating crab balls. Um. But yeah. But it's but here. Let's we're wasting time. Let's dive in. There's so there are some really great songs on this record. It opens with Tweedledly D. Uh, Tweedledum, name for the absurd, uh, Little Fat Twin Brothers from the nursery rhymes of the 1700s but most well known from adaptations of Lewis Carroll's 1871 book Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There and this is filled with typically wild Dylan imagery from bags of dead man's bones to boiling brains. Kick it on JT. When they're
2: going to the country, they're going to retire They're taking a streetcar named Desire. He can't buy. a lot of things they'd like they would never one's gonna turn and I love
3: long. that little uh, so yeah so he basically uh, took would just he would read stuff and find these books and just steal sentences full lines and just throw them in the song and once I found that out, I was like trying to like every song I'm trying to see if I got anything. And the only thing that I could recognize out of this was that line that we played where he references streetcar named desire. I was like, I know that one. I was like, all right, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a full idiot. Um, I think this is, I think this is a good song. I just, like I said earlier, I think it goes on too long uh, without any real changes. I'm sorry about it, but I do like it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this song? Like, what do you, how do you feel when you hear this?
4: I'm, I'm not a scholar. I don't. I don't know this record backward and forward. I actually had to buy it uh, at at my local record shop. Everybody should work should buy at uh, at their local record shop. Um, but I got the LP, and um, uh, this is a. This reminds me of Highway sixty one. This is the same kind of same kind of groove as something on that It would fit perfectly. You know, I I listen to this as much for the band as I do for uh, for the song and and i don't think that i don't think that any of these have a have an a have like a beginning middle and end in the song and and but it's but it's kind of like existing which is really um i was saying about this la- about the last record he did the you know uh rowdy ways rough and rowdy ways it's like he's existing in the past the present and the future all at the same time, and so are so are the characters so it's it's uh yeah, I mean to say it's going on too long, it's like what so it's, it's five minutes instead of three and a half, it's like, yeah, whatever it's a good groove, man It's a great groove, please don't think I'm shitting on the groove. The groove
3: is the groove, and I pray every night
4: to the groove i've I've only walked out of like one movie. In, what was it? Uh, it was um, they came from within, which is an early David Cronenberg movie where people have these like demons that are like squirt out of their guts and stuff like that. And I actually had had eaten some bad food, so I was I was feeling <laughs> the same thing that was, it was going on, you know, on the screen. And I had to I had because I didn't want to, you know, like crap my pants in the movie theater but um the the reason I say it is because there's there's something that's great about there's like one moment, I think in almost every movie that is sort of transcendent and sort of like hits you in a way and and maybe like at minute four minutes and fifteen seconds on this song, there's something for somebody that goes like, "Oh, that's the one, that's the line, you know." Or or your little near 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 near. That was yeah, it. But you know? well, that's what kept. That's
3: what got me. I'm not gonna lie. That's what kept me totally focused. Now I want to talk about uh, all the books that that Bob is referencing in this. Um, you and our buddy Tom. Uh, worked on under the big black sun, a personal history of LA punk and more fun in the new world, the unmaking and legacy of LA punk chronicling the first 10 years of punk that you and many contributing members of the scene experienced. So I want to know when did you first realize that it was a movement that was bigger than its individual parts?
4: Oh, uh, well, I, I think right at the beginning because because uh, there you know nobody was getting discovered there wasn't uh, there wasn't um, Seymour Stein and there wasn't uh, you know Malcolm McLaren and there wasn't uh, you know Blondie or uh, the Clash and because you know everybody uh, this is you know that's only about a year and a half or two years after those scenes were were starting but every you know the la scene didn't didn't get much play so we all had to we all had to work together in order to um to keep it to keep it viable and and everybody you know played in you know a couple of different bands and and all like that so but did we think it was going to last as long or or have as much um cultural impact no that that was like maybe in the year 2000, I thought, Oh God, huh? I guess I can hear some influences of LA punk rock and in, in these people. And then people, you know, who would, who were younger were starting to to reference bands from that era and, and stuff like that. But the, but the LA, the LA punk rock scene was more about um, like goofy kids um, having a good time and drinking beer and like living cheaply and and a like a bohemian kind of lifestyle that it, it wasn't like the no future of london or the like art world of new york city so that's why it's particular particular to los angeles and you know tom and i couldn't have done this without all the other people that contributed and i didn't want to you know tom kept bugging me and said you should write a book and it's like you should write a book fuck you that sounds like way too much work and discipline yeah. and stuff that I'm, I'm busy. I've, I've got a job. I don't need another effing job, Tom. Thank you. But, um, cause I, you know, I'm not a like raconteur telling stories and all this guy. I, I don't really hold forth that much on occasion. I'll say, yeah, this, there was this time that so-and-so did this and blah, blah. Um, so, I figured I would be like uh, you know Tom Sawyer and get everybody else to paint the fence uh rather than me have to do it and then I didn't have to be like the the authority and and I couldn't tell like what it was like for for women to be in in um in this uh scene you know i I loved it and appreciated it and and worked hard to to be allies and and promote um you know equality. 'cause that was that was something that, that punk rock really um really demonstrated or or initiated i think in in this scene there were you know in new york london l a San francisco, and onward there's women playing drums there's women playing lead guitar there's women you know not just the the cute front singer you know
3: um i so you we were talking about people reading too deeply into uh into Bob Dylan lyrics Uh, because this came out on nine 11. uh, And I don't know why people would think this. Some Dylan fans and conspiracy followers thought Bob was somehow. uh, What is it? Psychically referring to the twin towers with this song. Do they really, they really do want to break shit down? They really want to find QAnon and o, when they want to
4: find it. They find it. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I guess QAnon is on everybody's mind.
3: They're on everybody's dude. They it, knew.
4: Cause it's so, cause it's so uh, absurd. Um, I, I know exactly what, what they're talking about. And I know why that, why that feels that way. Because we made a record X made a record after 35 fucking years and it was released during on in uh, April of 2020, and everybody thought, "Oh my God, this is so foreshadowing, and and this is this is like foretelling the future." And how did they do this? And all that sort. It's because we've always written lyrics like that. We've always talked about being disenfranchised, with uh, you know, living this this. Uh, the, the world is the, the world is going to hell and politicians are all fucked up and, and all this kind of stuff. So that's what we write about. And then history catches up with you. And so then people are going to say, oh, my God. If people are
3: looking for something and they want to find it, they're going to find it. They'll find something. So a word, a sentence, uh, an image that just like that. Nope, that proves my point. Uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe Bob Dylan is psychic. All right. uh, The next song I want to talk about is the second song on the record, Mississippi. Uh, So this is like a world weary look at his then late 50s life running down. And it was originally recorded for the previous album, uh, but it was left off. I do like this. This is really cool. He offered it to Cheryl Crow who was honored to record it in 98 then the Dixie Chicks started playing her version in concert and on his manager's suggestion Dylan re-recorded a more country rock version for this album what I love about this is that Dylan is getting paid At least four times for this song Which is (laughs) fucking great This was was so popular And loved uh, that it's still considered Among his best work Uh, Here, let's let's hear a bit of it Uh, Peter, play it
2: Some people will offer you their hand And some won't Last night I knew you Tonight I don't I need something strong To distract my mind I'm gonna look at you till my eyes go blind. I, I actually really
3: like this song. I I think but this might I be one of the best ones on the record. Um might. Because there might be something later that I enjoy even more.
4: Uh, so what do you think? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just do a little review here. You know, Mississippi is is famous for inventing the blues. You know, all the all the um, Delta Blues guys came from Mississippi and and so he, he would he would be there in a second and i i think that if you're if you're going to talk about you know living his life and 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 wondering about whether it's rewarding or not i think that's that's where that's where you're at so yeah i, I think there's a lot of references to to like slavery and and uh like being being in a place that is uh unwelcoming being in a place that 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 you you know you might as well get out of because because it's not gonna it's not gonna serve you
0: yeah
3: so let's let's talk about let's talk about aging
4: gracefully, like
3: Bob's trying to say here can the spirit of punk rock age gracefully or is it supposed to just burn out by design
4: no, I think it totally can and and uh you know everybody said that rock and roll is just a, a A fad. Yeah. A fad or just for young people. And there's something you can do as a young person that you can't do as an older person, but uh, there's plenty to, there's plenty to do. Um, Yeah. Aging gracefully just depends on, on whether you're being, uh, if you have integrity and you don't, uh, you're not a bullshitter and you're not just a, um, you know, you're not relying on gimmicks and, and, and even, you know, someone who does start out with a gimmick can, can move into, to more authenticity if they're, if they're a true, if they're an artist, you know, and, and that's like TBD on, on a lot of people.
3: I I kind of, I kind of agree with you. I mean, especially with rock and roll uh, because I don't know enough about punk you know, but from what I do know, I've seen, especially like X, you just made a new record. It's, it's, phen- it's phenomenal. Like, I think there's, I think there's a level, like you said, of having integrity, staying to your roots, but also, you know, like I've seen a lot of rock artists, you know, do one thing at the beginning and as they age, it's almost like they're like, even with Bob, it's like, he's, he's doing stuff for fun now because this is what he wants to do. And he gave us so much earlier. And so it's, it's just as long as you're you're still playing to what you love and what you want to do. I, I don't see there, you know, you, I mean, I think it would be weird to see a guy 85 years old, you know, at the Roxy, just fucking, yeah. <laughs> da, 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 da. I mean, that would be weird, but I, I'd go see it. Cause I'd get free uh, tickets.
4: I, probably I be know.
3: It would be, it would be a bunch of octogenarians just ripping, yeah. just fucking yeah. ripping.
4: Absolutely. Why not? Who says they Dude. can't?
3: Dude, um, we got to find but, some eight. We got to find some 85 year olds that can
4: rip. Yeah, I know one. His name's Willie Nelson.
3: Okay, you know you're right. Okay, I forgot about it. He's 85. Jesus, how he's 85, and I look older than him, and I'm
4: 41. No, I think he's 87. Good God. Yeah, and I've I've seen him since uh, you know moving to Austin, and I'm I'm friends with some of his kids. Uh, that that he there is something that he does in every show, and it's not always the same that blows my mind he's one of the one of the best guitar players ever. Yeah, not just for what he does, but definitely that I would say, you know, the, the thing the thing that that Bob can do in in later in his later records is have this uh he reads something, he reinterprets it it, it isn't if if you from what I understand, I don't I haven't made a, you know, in-depth study on this but the the lines that are taken from other books are changed bit by bit like weaved into so it's it's not like a direct steal it's it's more of a like oh this i just did read this but it's fitting into this character rather than i'm taking this and then going to make a character around it and may be totally wrong but he was kind of you know, referencing different characters and people all the time. I mean, from, from the get go. So it's no surprise.
3: I mean, the guys, I mean, how many albums has he made at this point? This is what his like 250, 250. 200, <laughs> this is his 250th record. This guy, I mean, after a certain point of time, it's like, how many lyrics can you write on your own? You know, thinking thank God, he didn't just like, steal off like the Olive
5: Garden menu. He's just like, Oh God.
3: All oh, you can eat breadsticks. Oh, and soup
0: and salad.
5: Um. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurwitz, and -and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, Man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris makes a podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts and new episodes come out every Monday. Hey, you, do you have any plans this year?
1: 020-D.com SoundTalentMedia.com or on your favorite podcast
2: app.
3: Alright, let's move on to the next song. We got a few more I want to talk about. Summer Day uh, 45. Um, this might actually, uh, this moment right here might be my favorite of the records so far. Uh, Peter, play it. Everybody
2: get ready lift up your glasses and sing. Everybody get ready lift up your glasses and sing. Well, I'm standing on the table i like the toast to the
3: key. i in the flats in um, puddle, car. I, I really the do, do like this song. Well, when uh, start, so what I found, he paraphrases I'm F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great God. Gatsby, the obscure 1964 single Hopped Up Mustang by Arlen Sanders, and a Japanese book we'll get into later. I See, I, this is where I know the album has got me. Now I'm into it. And I, this is the shit that I like. I like the slower stuff that he does, but if we've, you know, so far, the three songs that we've heard so far, this is definitely my favorite. Um, do you have anything you want to add to this before we move on to Bye Bye?
4: No, I think that this is a, 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 a very uh, great rendition of so many Jump Blues songs. It could be, you know, Wanoni Harris from, uh, or the Blasters, who were big in the L.A. scene back in back in the day. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, I'm going to use this as my canvas and I'm going to have some great, some, some great imagery and, and, uh, yeah. So it's a, and, and this is where the band just really, he just lets them loose, you know? The groove, as you said earlier, the groove. That's right. Well, I didn't, I didn't invent that term. I don't know if you, if you, I don't want to take credit for inventing the term, the groove. Or trying the, to connect with you. I'm trying, I'm
3: trying to, in the pocket, the groove. The groove. Oh, you mean the groove? As <laughs> he would say it, the groove. I <laughs> so would say, come on, here, get
2: to the groove. All
3: right, by and by. Now, here's what I found. This, like many others on this album, really reflects Dylan's love and admiration for songs from the 20s, 30s, and 40s. In fact, he based this... On the Billie Holiday song Having Myself a Time And what's funny is It sounds breezy But there's this dark, obsessive vibe Lurking in the lyrics uh, Which might be about a woman Or even his feelings about that era of music itself uh, And you can hear the darkness in this clip Peter, go ahead and play it
2: I've got mad Mama, she's feeling sad Well, I'm gonna baptize you in fire so you can send no more. I'm going to establish my rule through civil war. I'll make you see just how I mean, I mean, I'm going to baptize baby. you in
3: fire. Jesus
2: Christ.
0: Yeah,
3: why not? But it doesn't, but it but it gives you this like, you know, like applesauce delicious and we're going to yeah. get nutritious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like when I was listening to this, I was like, oh, this is finally like a really nice song. And it's like, oh, no, there's. There's there's hellfire in this one. Um, I kind of like this one. I like how dirty, how dark it is. Uh, I love the light swing. I also dig, and you'll find this funny. I like this song a lot because this. I think this might be the shortest one on the record.
4: Well, to each their own. To each their own. Uh, well, your your thoughts? How do you feel? The the darkness is is always there. It's just how much do you want to emphasize it? You know and and he's not afraid to to um to like that last verse that you referenced he's not afraid to to have everything in chaos if that's the way it's going to go that's the way it's going to go and and uh i'm you know not going to not going to pull back uh i i think referencing the civil war is probably like more of the same kind of thing with, with the, you know, being about emancipation, being about, about that time.
3: So let me ask you, because like I, like I said, I don't know about a lot of his earlier work is this is, this is like a reoccurring thing with Bob, I assume, where it's just like, it's just brutal honesty. And just like you said, that darkness.
4: Yes. Yeah. And, and he, I think he allows himself to, to, to let the song take him someplace that he might, you know, not even know where it's going to go. Here you are. You're walking down the path, and then you, you make you you write one line, and then it's like, oh, there's another one right behind it. I know that that's how that's how it works for me. Um, you don't know where it's gonna go when you first start out, and it just goes
3: for sure. All right, I want to ask you a question because we did uh, a White Stripes record right before this, uh, and in that, uh, Jack and Meg broke up. Uh, and got divorced, and Meg had to convince Jack to keep the band together. And then you and Exene broke up right as the band was reaching some mainstream success, and you not only stayed together, but you also started a second band, The Knitters. So I got to ask, was there any talk of the band breaking up as well?
4: Oh, sure. But we realized that we were friends before we were married, and uh, and that our artistic Relationship was more important than than being married, than being a, a couple. Not to say it wasn't hard, but it was also, you know, it was also our our job. It was our job, and we we took it really seriously, and felt like that that it was more important than than we were individually, and and we weren't acting like fucking children, <laughs> and and you know, just wanting to cut our nose off to spite our face kind of thing, you know, but it was, yeah, it was, it was very difficult. And and that Ain't Love Grand record was also the first record we did without Raymond Zarek. And that was uh, kind of a mistake. The, the producer that we chose was known for doing heavy metal records and he kind of sucked a lot of the life out of the, out of the songs, you know, but say la vie, man. That's C'est how he goes.
3: How close, how close was X to, to, to being, to being over though? Like how was there like, was there a moment? You're like, it's fucking done, man. It's fucking done. Oh,
4: that still (laughs) happens. That still happens with everybody. I know. I know. You know. but, but, you know, you, you realize that, like it's it's like a family, you know, and I don't know what your family's like, but families are fucking complicated. <laughs> we, we
3: dude, my mom picked me up from the airport when I got to Maryland and I was like, we're having crab cakes and french fries tonight. And she goes crab cakes, but we're having baked potato. And then we, I screamed at her and she screamed at me. I was like, how can we have baked potato with crab cakes? It's french fries. I'm not making french fries for seven people. So, yeah, dude, I get it. I get it. Which brings me to the next song, "Lonesome Day Blues." Now, here are the details of the song. Uh, it's a 12-bar blues. It has a title from a Blind Willie McTell and Ruby Glaze song from 1932, but owes more to Leroy Carr and Blackwell's 1934 song "Blues Before Sunrise" and Muddy Waters' "Lonesome Day" from
2: 1952. Uh, JT, play it.
3: I right, hear my thoughts on this song. What I got from this song is it's about two women. Okay. The main girl. And then Samantha Brown. Uh, now that being said, I think it's kind of fucked up that he called out Samantha Brown. He could have just said, cause he never mentions the other girl, but he mentioned Samantha Brown by name. And if there's a real Samantha Brown, I don't know if I, I'm happy for, her or I'm, or I'm like, yeah, or, you know, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> that's what I got. Um, But also then I read the lyrics and I noticed there's like 11 verses in this song. And once again, it's just a little too long. I love the groove, but the song swings. Don't get me wrong, but just 11 verses. That's a lot. Your first record is 28 minutes, bro. Your first record is like 28. Our
4: last last record is 26 or seven minutes. That's awesome. That's perfect. Hey, you know what? Uh, I am I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to get into this. I'm not going to be drawn into this again. Okay. <laughs> not again with this uh fucking drawn me into a fight with with you again. <laughs> uh here's the thing is is that you know to to try to figure out what it means and to try to uh it it's all about like oh, I found this place it's a cool place and uh, Samantha Brown's here and uh, and my brother that was in the war, he's here too. And it's down this, it's down this uh, dirt road and it's got this cool shit going on. Do you want to come? And it's like, sure. I want to come. I want to do, well, do you just want to see like half of it or do you want to see all of it? 'Cause it ended up that I, I saw a lot more than I thought I was gonna see when I went to this place. And and I think that's like that is classic uh Bob Dylan. You know, and and, and you can I, I can say that about every one of these songs, that he just finds a place, man. And and this place, yeah, it was influenced by uh Muddy Waters and and uh but he's listened to so much fucking muddy waters. He's listened to so much Willie McTell. He could, you know, he he knows he knows that music. He knows the what the band is playing, and so let's just do it. Let's just give up, to, you know, give it up, give it up for the for the band, give it up for the for the place that we've gone to, and if you listen to like he said himself at at there was a, a ceremony where he gave this speech uh for music cares and he said you know if you listen to enough of of one kind of song you're going to be able to write this other kind of song which was one of his <laughs> and if you listen to enough of this guy then you're going to be, be able to write this other song that I wrote and i think that's true if you he he can he can reference and he can pull that out because he he knows it he he's a he's um it's not just a fad it's something that's in his dna kind of is bones
3: no for sure um all right well like we're talking about dna and bones i want to talk about your acting stuff because you know by the late 80s after years being in bands uh and before you even put out your first solo record you started acting and you you were in one of my favorite movies boogie nights uh great balls of fire another one of my personal favorites roadhouse and a bunch of other tv stuff you i don't think you understand how many people in the you probably do Because Roadhouse is like that's that's like forget Paul Thomas Anderson Roadhouse dude that'll be remembered hopefully aliens will find that one day and and that will live on millenniums but did you always have that kind of aspiration and did you feel like vulnerable branching out from the group dynamic to a different medium where you would essentially be representing yourself.
4: Uh no, I didn't. And and I'll give Alison Anders, the indie film director, credit for for asking me to to be in one of her first movies, or her first movie, called um Border Radio. And it's just like uh somebody I think you're a fool to turn down an opportunity. And if it's oh, here's an opportunity to express yourself and it's a little outside your comfort zone and uh, you're not sure if you're going to make a fool of yourself or not. And okay, let's go. And then, you know, once you get to something like great balls of fire or roadhouse or something like that, it's like, Oh, wait a minute. And you're going to pay me like eight grand a week. Sure. Yeah. And how many weeks we're working 10 weeks. Sure that sounds like a lot of money to me. (laughs) And you know, to be honest, I, you know, X had been working since 77. And I think the, uh, you know, I, I could finally, you know, could never buy a house, rented houses, so forth, worked in two movies, which was like grace balls of fire and roadhouse. And suddenly I could buy a house. It wasn't anything fancy, But um, it's a house. Yeah. You know, so, uh, but I, I, I take it really seriously and I I try to do my homework and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, but anybody who loves Roadhouse is uh, very in touch with their 13, 14 year old boy. Oh yeah, dude. And I mean, you know, that, that goes for male and female and binary and everybody else. If you like that movie, then you like, you know, uh, kind of kicking ass and I mean it's perfect bro it is I mean come
3: on dude that is that is Schwazy at at peak Schwazy. I mean he rips a guy's heart out of his chest for christ's sake throat I mean that thro- right, same thing I mean I I'm sorry not, I, got, I got Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom mixed up uh, they're the same they're very very similar very similar why
4: it was great I and uh at some point I'm going to write a, a a biography and and that'll be a uh, a, a dedicated chapter that's that's very funny. <laughs> it's it's like it's like the the most expensive B movie ever made. Yeah. <laughs> and then up to that point Joel Silver who was the producer had had nothing but success and that was a huge bomb at the box office. Yes,
3: but probably on VHS he made his money back tenfold. Tenfold and the rights, the the where you can watch show it on television. I mean, come on. Yeah. I think it's called streaming. That's what it is. But then there's another one. It's like right. where it's with television, it's where it goes. Syndication.
4: Yes. Right.
3: The syndication. Yeah. If let me ask you this if Joel Silver called you and said we're doing Roadhouse 2, uh the prequel to it. <laughs> are you
4: in? Absolutely. I, I think they didn't didn't they do a didn't they do a uh hey,
3: listen, you know what I say? No shwazy, no wazy. No wazy. Like, no like I like it. Thank you. All right. Floater. Too much to ask. That's the next song I want to talk about. This is interesting. A couple of the lines of this song were said to have been plagiarized and paraphrased from a translated version of Junichi. Saga's 1991 nonfiction book about the Japanese crime syndicate confessions of a Yakuza. When someone pointed it out to the writer, rather than be upset or litigious, he said he was honored by Dylan. When confronted with his proclivity for liberally lifting from writers, including Saga, he unapologetically said, this is from Bob Dylan, wussies and pussies complain about that stuff. If you think it's so easy to quote him and it can help your work, do it yourself and see how far you can get. (laughs) Fucking Bob, dude. I also found this on a message board and I thought this was pretty funny. Uh, An amazing song that doubles as a book recommendation. How evil. uh, And the poster of that clips handle. I got to say this. Uh Bible Belt Ho. Very, very good Bible Belt Ho. If you're out there and you're listening, maybe you want to change the, the, the name though. Bible Belt Ho. I don't, you know. Uh this line caught me off guard. Uh Peter, play 24 seconds.
2: Hot are buzzing and Leaves begin to stir. I'm in love with my second cousin. I tell myself I could be happy forever with her i keep listening
3: for footsteps. Um, how do you, well, I like this
4: shuffle. What are your thoughts? Great. Great fucking song. Yep. But again, I, dish, I, I'm, I'm going to just, you know, we could, we I could can just talk love shit love because, love because love I'm going to say the same love thing. Love Bob found himself in a, in a cool place and he, and, uh, I've taken direct inspiration from, from other, uh, authors. One is, um, Oh God, what's her name? Uh, she wrote the Beat Queen, um, and and written songs. Uh, there there was a uh, another book by Haruki Murakami that I used as inspiration for for a song called Closet of Dreams, and uh, yeah, I mean, you got if you're having trouble with your output, look at your input. If you're having trouble creating something, what are you being inspired by? Because there's uh, very few things that are, I mean, you you can't just steal, you you can't be like Led Zeppelin and steal from, you know, impoverished, impoverished blues musicians and then call it your own. No, you give them credit and then give them the money too. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, so what? There's nothing wrong. He's
3: not, it's like, first of all, he's not really, he's just like, he's my taking a line and rewording it. Like he's playing around. It's not like he's, like you said, it's not like he's full on just, all right, this is a paragraph from the story. I'm just going to put that in. And if he does, he reworks it and he makes he he dillens it up and I dig it. All right. uh, So then after that, we have high water for Charlie Patton. Great song. Uh, Then the next one I want to talk about is moonlight. Um, because i got so many people when i posted about this record that were just saying how this is their favorite song on it uh this is very interesting although most of the lyrics and mellow melody are his dylan likely took the verse refrain from the carter family's 1928 recording of meet me by the moonlight uh play a little bit of the dylan jt
0: would you
2: in harmony the blessings of tranquility yet i know when the time is right to strike so according to engineer chris shaw this was
3: recorded completely live in a few takes with no editing or additional overdubs i love that he did it he was like he listened to it he's like it's perfect and then that was it and i really i really like this song I'm, i have i have a big heart i'm, I'm looking for love and not in even all the wrong places. I'm just looking for it. But I love, I love when a song like this, especially, and I think that's, this is what this album, it just, we've had some really high highs and we've had moments where I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm vibing in this, but like you said, when you find the groove, you find the groove. And in this one, I really enjoyed the groove. Um,
4: well, this is a, this is a sort of uh, jazz standard, Tin Pan Alley kind of uh, chord changes and delivery. And, uh, and it's, unabashedly romantic. Uh, I hate to tell whoever was commenting that this was taken from the Carter family, ask them to listen to Woody Guthrie. And pretty much every fucking melody that Woody does, which are incredible, are taken from a Carter family song. Like, This Land Is Your Land is uh, uh, something like My Sweet Darling Oh, are my little darling. And it's like the same. So shit happens.
3: <laughs> shit does happen. All right. That's perfect. Perfect button on that. All right. Uh, honest with me. Uh, the song meaning, I think, is about a lost love that was upended uh, the narrator's whole life. Uh, but it's a Bob Dylan song. So who really
4: knows? Um, once again, though, this song. I love, the, I, I love the fact that it's like there's all this shit that goes down and I think that people have a really hard time being honest. And they, they always want, people want to, and I'll include myself there. Uh, you want to soft pedal it. You don't want to hurt people's feelings. You don't want to, um, uh, you, you, it's, it's really hard to be brutally honest. And I guess somewhere in the middle of this is also referencing uh, uh, like a Civil War song
3: yeah yeah so so he for the line i'm not sorry for nothing i've done i'm glad i fought i only wish we'd won that's from uh the pro confederate post-civil war song i'm a good old rebel and then i think there's for this fair land of freedom i don't give a damn i'm glad i fit against it i only wish we'd won and i don't want no pardon for anything i'd done i don't know, but i think that's from the same
4: song it's brutally honest about um and and i love what he's when he says uh, um, I'm stark naked and and off in the woods and I'm I'm hunting bear, <laughs> B A R E. Tell me tell me that Bob Dylan doesn't have some doesn't have some comedy chops. I mean, or Bob Dylan's butt naked in the forest. I'm 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 off, I'm, I'm hunting bear. <laughs>
3: Uh, I do I do like this one a lot. Like I said, I like this is one of those ones that did go a little too long, but it has these great runs that the band plays. Uh Peter, play three fifty eight. Like these are the things that are saving certain songs for me because it's like I, this one. This is one of the rockers on the record, uh, so immediately I'm drawn to it. Like I said, it, it's but it's that that little guitar run that like, dan, dan dan that just.
4: Thank you, Charlie Sexton. What Charlie's playing there is is classic Elmore James kind of kind of stuff. So it's so good.
3: Yeah. All right. All right, Po' Boy You uh, we were talking about Bob's humor This is another great example uh, During a song about a life of struggle, work Simple pleasures and comforts He drops old jokes like calling room service uh, Peter, play it
2: Knocking on the door I say, who's it, where you from? Man said, Freddy, I say, Freddy who? He said, Freddy, and not here I come Po' Boy, neath the stars that shine them dishes, them swine. He's like,
3: he's like, so I calm down and the guy says, hold on for a second. So I wait three minutes and then the guy answers and he says, it's the wrong number. So I call the number again. And then, oh, I finally got the guy and there he is. <laughs> oh boy. yeah, bought ski This is such a sweet song. This is the sweetest song on the record. In my opinion, I love the story. I love the humor and I love that light swing. Uh, I saw you laughing, so
4: obviously you feel the same way. Yeah, Freddy or not here I come. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. Who? or not here I come. Who else is going to reference Othello and Desdemona and, you know, get it right about somebody getting poisoned uh and and make it swing. Yeah. It's like, okay, sure. You can do that. I'm with you. You did, you just did it. God damn. I love you, and I hate you. (laughs) Ever
5: wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana?
1: Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room?
5: Fans of Too Much F.E. Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead.
1: And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell
5: us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11.
3: All right. Uh, Cry a While I right, said so this one is vicious uh, Here's another acid tongue song of resentment It's somebody who has Well earned their tears Here's the best part
2: uh, Peter, play it Last night across the alley I was a pounding on the wall It must have been done possibly Making it to me and booty gone Too bring a trusted heart like mine Was just your start
3: Bob Dylan just shouted out booty calls. I fucking love that. And it's funny how he found that out. After seeing Rolling Stone magazine in the studio with Destiny's Child on the cover and the heading booty camp, he put the phrase booty call into this song. Good for Bob. Doesn't matter where you get it. No, dude. The term booty also means what a pirate might loot or steal. But I
4: don't think in this. this, Well, No. no, no. But you see here's a, here's another thing where uh he's it this is not this doesn't take place in the recording studio while there's a rolling stone it takes place in some alternate fucking universe yeah where uh you know the the railroad that's going out of Pennsylvania and the frozen fucking uh roads in denver and you know. But then there's double cross and backstabbing phonies. And yeah,
3: great song. All right, last song on the record, Sugar Baby. And I, I honest to God think, I know I've said I've enjoyed this one or I like this one. I'm connecting with this. I think this is my favorite song on the record. And I also think it's a perfect way to end the album. Just a slow, regretful ballad about a life of heartbreak. And it really does break my heart. Um, here peter play 227
2: sugar baby get out on down the line you ain't got no brains no heart you ain't years without me a mile well keep going now
3: this is a this is a really great song um it, it really reminds me of something that it feels more like it, it should be on time out of mind Um, it just, that's, I feel like it's a continuation of that record. Um, Mm -hmm. your thoughts on it, ending the album with this?
4: Oh, um, it's a, it's a great album ender and, and you have to, as you're sequencing something, you usually, you have to trust your intuition. I mean, that's what, that's what sequencing is all about. And that's what recording is all about. But I, I think that, that this is the most, um, like slave master, type song because he's he's using lyrics like you ever you never had any brains know how it's it's sort of like using a vernacular of someone who could have been enslaved and and it's like a sugar baby you know being a you know just being a kid who doesn't know anything yeah yeah it's it's a beautiful song and the the music is shows how um how the band can just res- be so restrained and and really melodic and and not trying to you know here they're staying out of the way, really out and, of the way, and I think that's why I enjoy it so much. Yeah, and this is this is pretty similar to to something that could be on the last record as well. Sure, that rough and rowdy ways, which I would recommend, but I wouldn't recommend the the murder so foul, which is another fucking. 17 minute song about the assassination of john kennedy i don't know maybe you're into that but
3: nah dude (laughs) nah i gotta go back bro i gotta i gotta i gotta really because you know what i watched when i was doing getting ready for the last bob dylan record i watched a documentary um i forget which one it was uh Who's the guy Penny Penny HR uh, Penny Packer Is that his name or or did I fuck that up Yeah but I watched one of his documentaries And I was just like in awe of how cool Bob was and how you know You could just tell how special he was Watching him and I remember they did A song uh, I'm gonna fuck it up like I think it's called Hey Ramona I immediately heard it I found out what the song was and I listened to it Over and over and over and over and over again Because I was like that that's the Bob Dylan That I like that right
4: there and and I need more of that. The name of that record is called Another Side of Bob Dylan. Ooh. And that was when he when he stepped away from doing more political stuff and he was doing more uh romantic stuff. It's beautiful. But dude,
3: I have no time. I have to listen to the who next and then i think fucking talking heads or some shit i mean nothing i'm not against any of these other albums i gotta listen to i have no time i have no time to listen to stone temple pilots and guns and roses oh
4: bands you're that, right you're right yeah. there's, 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 <laughs> ne- there's never enough time there's never any enough extra time to listen to either one of those bands I, i'm so embarrassed about my music knowledge bro i'm just so embarrassed i i, I mean listen i
3: i just i i listened to los angeles uh, as soon as we booked you, I kept hearing your name. Mark Marin keeps talking about your music and I heard it and I was like, this fucking rips.
4: So listen, well, listen to, listen to the, the most recent one called Alphabet Land. And maybe you maybe like that.
3: I want to ask you this, though, because I just found this out. Uh, me and me and Morty were talking and he so he wrote this question because I just think it's so fascinating. We're talking about sad country songs uh, in the 1992 movie the bodyguard your version of dolly pardons i will always love you it's playing in a pivotal scene and it inspires whitney's character to sing it at the end of the movie so i got to know how did that come about and were you even aware of how big this movie was going to be or how big her version was going to be
4: uh no to all of that <laughs> and, <laughs> and the way that i got involved is uh is that i knew kevin and kevin costner and jim wilson we were in kind of a Acting improv you know fuck around and do stuff thing in l a uh that my friend Michael Blake, who was a writer and Michael wrote uh dances with wolves, which was adapted and then won academy awards and shit like that um and so Michael introduced me to kevin and and uh Jim and Jim Wilson thought it would you know I could do a good version of that and um it's kind of a shame that that um the that song didn't didn't get included on the record cause, but then I wouldn't be here. <laughs> you would be talking to me. I would I'd, I'd be in Hawaii. I'd be in Hawaii and uh oh wait a minute you're in Hawaii. No. He's in Hawaii. Uh,
3: Fucking I, he's, he's on the Lua Wa'a Terrace. There you
4: go. Wa'a Terrace. the f actually the funny thing about that is that is that the uh the movie company or there was whoever put out whoever was you know working on the soundtrack whatever Um, they made a, like a single cassette or, or something, you know, that they were sending out to country radio stations, you know, seeing if they would play my version of that. And their, their biggest response was like, yeah, this is good, but we're still playing Dolly's version. So sorry. And I was like, oh, okay. I can, I can lose to to Dolly Parton. Uh. But that was the first uh, gold record that Nick Lowe got. Because what's so funny about "Peace, Love, and Understanding" is on that soundtrack. Really? On the soundtrack to Bodyguard. That is
3: so dope. That is I so. Loved, cool. I
4: loved Whitney Houston in that. It was like Whitney without makeup. Oh my god, she was she was so natural and such a such a dream. I just love that we're skipping over that you're good friends with Kevin Costner. I don't, I don't see him much. I, you know, I've been around, man. I've been around and I, you know, I lived in LA and I, you know,
3: it's uh, the friendships that we get in in our careers. It's like, there's people that you're like, ah, oh, no, I'll never get along. And next thing you know, like, Nope, I, me and this dude that have nothing in common that are both in the different sides of the entertainment industry. We hit it off. And, and it's great. I think that's one of the cool things like, you know, about doing this is just the the people that you meet. And are so talented and that we get to really connect with. Uh, and it's and I, also it's like to be able to talk to you and then to to f- be able to put two and two together uh, with with having you in the bodyguard while well, hearing your voice. I mean, in the bodyguard, it's incredible. Um, you want to do some facts and we'll get out of here. Sure. All right. I found this fact, Morty. So if don't get mad at me because I found this one. Morty writes all the facts, but I found this one uh, and you'll see why. In her memoir, "Wishful Drinking," Carrie Fisher writes about getting a call from Dylan. He'd been asked to endorse a cologne called "Just Like a Woman," but he didn't like that name and wanted her advice on alternates. So I wanted to ask, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what song title of yours would be the best name for a cologne? Uh,
4: sex, and, "Sex and Dying in High Society." Nice, dude.
3: <laughs> I was like, I was like, we, what about LA? Then I was like, nah, that would be too peepee smelling. It'd yeah. be it'd be overcrowded. Yeah. It's the scent of overcrowded and high taxes.
4: <laughs> no, sex and dying in high society. Which which is uh you know, that's a a total kind of rip off of uh uh fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, same for, kind for of, sure, dude. Same kind of thing.
3: For sure what would it smell like what would be the main note uh
4: something uh something awful like like the way that orange blossoms can be so like overwhelming you know orange the smell of orange blossom i mean the actual going into an orange grove or in la yeah it's kind of it's intoxicating but then at the same time it's like too much it's like uh just really tone it down just yeah. Smothering. You're smothering me with your sweetness. (laughs) Stop it. All
3: right. So Dylan would sometimes play the band old records for the styles that he wanted to emulate and would start and stop takes to change directions. If the band wasn't getting it he would threaten them by telling them he'll just do it solo and it scared the shit out of them enough to get them to figure out what he wanted. <laughs> I love that. I, if there's anybody that you don't want to get fired by it's Bob Dylan, you get a chance to play with Dylan. You do what the fuck Dylan wants. Um, so I got to ask you this. When you first started getting the, it started getting offered movie roles and were making solo records. Was there any pushback from the band?
4: Uh, No, no. That was like uh, with the high tides rise all the boats, and and I still believe that. Yeah, um, I, I think you know there, there were a couple of times when I was working on Roswell that it was it was uh, really like the scheduling was fucked up because I never knew when they would call me to work for a week. I wasn't an actual like regular on the show. Yeah, and they would you know at at random you know. And it would only be about a 10-day uh, turnaround. It's like, okay, you're working in 10 days. It's like, shit, I've got a, a whole, you know. So sometimes I have to say I couldn't. But other times I would try to fly back and forth. And, but I only missed one gig from that. Yeah,
3: good, good, good. And they were,
4: and they were righteously angry with me. And, and I apologized and, yeah, we rescheduled it. We're still together. There you go. You won. Don't worry. In the end, you
3: got it. All right. Bob saw this as the first record of a trilogy that explored pre rock and roll American music that went on to include modern times and tougher than tougher through life. Uh, in 1985, you, Exene uh, DJ Bonebreak, and guitarist David Alvin from the Blasters, and stand up bassist Johnny Ray Bartell from the Red Devils, put out the first record from your roots band, Side Project, the Knitters. 25 laters, you followed it up. So I want to know will we finally be getting the third
4: Knitters album in 2025? Uh, if we're all still alive, yes. It's already in the works. No, yes. I have no idea. We did that on a lark. It was like, I love the Carter family. Do you love the Carter family? Yeah, let's do. Let's play this song. And the knitters were, uh, we didn't have a name. So the very first gig that we had was doing a benefit for an after hours club that we all like to go to. Nice. Because we were such uh, booze hounds that when the bars closed at two, we thought, we're not done yet. And then somebody, uh, a friend of ours, John Pokno, uh, opened a, a place called the Zero, the Zero One Club, which was an art gallery. Sure. And, well, they did have art. They had they had actually some good art. There's from art time, there, <laughs> time to time. But uh, you know, we were we were club members, and uh, and but we needed to we needed to sustain the club. So that was the first thing we, we were going to play. Just Dave, Alvin, and Exine and I. And it's like, oh shit, we don't have a name. What are we going to be called? And so instead of the weavers, which was like the you know quintessential folk group, I said, Well, what about the knitters? We didn't we weren't weaving, we were knitting. And uh the 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 other strange thing is that Bloodshot Records from Chicago made a tribute record to the knitters record. They they got all these other like alt-country artists to do a tribute. To our record, which was a tribute to like old records, so it was like oh this meta
3: it's very meta, but it's so great dude i yeah I, I've been able to dig through a lot of a lot of your stuff uh recently man uh once we once we got you on this and it's I'm saying you got a fan so i, I this is you really got a fan and and especially with x dude that that first record is just it's perfect it is a perfect record and I don't know if you saw this recently. Mark Marin tweeted, I think I, I'm, I'm going to fuck it up, but I'm almost positive. He said yeah, just uh, a
4: reminder that X is a great band or something. Oh, like yeah. Oh yeah. You saw it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, somebody sent it to me and I put it up on my Instagram. <laughs>
3: it's awesome. All right. Um, this is really funny. This fact. The last fact. I Morty didn't write this one. So just to give you an idea. All right. Sometime in the early 2000s. So I'm assuming right around this time. Bob Dylan decided he wanted to star in a slapstick comedy on HBO. Larry Charles, who at the time had been a main writer on Seinfeld and mad about you, who also went on to direct Borat, got a call to meet with him. That led to a bizarre meeting with HBO, which involves someone whispering in reference to Dylan. He's like a retarded child. Um, um, I just wish that show would have happened. God, can you imagine the dialogue on like a sitcom, a slapstick sitcom with Bob Dylan? Just it's like, who ate all the leftovers, Bob? He's about that. (laughs) This is the intro. And they're like, whatever happened to predictability? And he just looks at the camera. (laughs) God, that would have fucking ruled. Um, would you watch the show? That's the question. I'm, I just
4: no, I'm so glad that didn't happen because yeah, I, I would like to, I would like to know who was, who was so bold to call Bob's uh and, and to say that they're retarded, which I don't think you could even say not anymore. anymore.
3: This was too, this was the early two thousands. Keep that in mind. Don't forget. And then all the listeners don't, not to forget. Black Eyed Peas had a song that's called "Let's Get Retarded," and I used to play it when I DJed middle school dances, and nobody said anything. It's all like you said. You mentioned cancel culture. Shit has changed. We can't. When and I and I respect all of that. I'm not shitting on any of the words or whatever. It's like oh, I get it, but the shit that we did in 1980, a lot, dude, you couldn't. They're remaking the movie Revenge of the Nerds, and I'm like, how could you remake Revenge of the? That was like that was like a sex romp. I, yeah. I literally think the main character raped the, the female main character and then she fell in love with him because he puts the mask on and then has sex with her. She thinks it's his ex-boyfriend. You can't uh, do that.
4: that yeah, I, I can't say that I actually ever saw. You ever saw Revenge of the, of the Nerds? Dead. No, I didn't. I, I, I was busy uh, punk rocking to the punk rock beat. I, sorry, I was too busy shooting hard drugs and being a fucking rebel and uh, so forth.
3: All right, me and you, dude. We're getting some fentanyl. We're watching Revenge of the Nerds, bro. You'll call up my next podcast the Four. That
4: was my previous. That's my previous life. Sorry.
3: All right, here I got th- I got four extra, four other questions. The rapid fire, and then we're done. All right. Favorite song on this record?
4: God damn! Um, either Moonlight or By and By. I'll I'll go with I'll go with Moonlight.
3: Nice. Least favorite song on the record? None of them.
4: Mm, okay uh least favorite song not saying it's even a bad song just one that you
3: might be like "Uh, i want to get to this one you might skip over it or just because i always feel like i'm trying to figure out a way to phrase that where we're not offense we're not because we're not saying it's a bad just you know if there's like there's stuff the moonlight and then there's you know this one it's a good song just i heard it enough
4: Not going to, not going to, I'm not going to pick it. Okay.
3: All right. Okay. Well, you have to answer this next one though. I will. Okay. Two out of three, two out of three. Two out of three, three, but you only got 20 points. All right. But this is the big one. What song on the record
4: would you fuck to? Oh, uh, can I, can I choose all of them? (laughs) Okay. We got, what's, what's, what are you leading with? You're opening up with Tweedly D, Tweedly Dumb. Oh, uh, no, I'll, I'll, um, I'll lead with, um, uh, with, with the really nasty one, uh, <laughs> Honest With Me. Nice. Nice, yeah. dude. I can tell you were a freak, John. I knew it. All right.
3: And then uh, final question, uh, is Bob Dylan the greatest ever? And if so,
4: why? Yeah, Bob Dylan's the greatest ever because he changed culture. He, he opened up uh, rock and roll music to poetry. And if it wasn't for him, I don't think that uh, it would have been as easy for Jim Morrison to, to come in and do his thing. And and if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't have been, you know, uh, like, what, what the hell does that mean? It wouldn't have been as easy for Kurt Cobain or uh, somebody else to, to tackle deep subjects. And I, you know, I, with a song like Hurricane – you know nobody you know. was talking about nobody was talking about that kind of inequality or uh even way back you know the uh death of Hattie Carroll which was historical about about some rich bastard killing a slave because she didn't do what he wanted to or whatever so um and also uh, I, uh he's the greatest for longevity him and Willie you know and a few others.
3: It's a per- perfect answer. Because, per- I, I, I mean, I, as I said it, I was like, God, that's such a hard question to answer. And you are like, you nailed it. Uh, I, I, and he also doesn't give a shit. That's the big thing. That's real rock and roll. Real- that's the most punk rock thing you can do is not give a shit.
4: Right. And, and you know, everybody said he lost his mind when he, you know, had, uh, had the band back him up and went electric and all that kind of stuff and had, you know, he doesn't care. He doesn't he's, care. He's doing his thing.
3: Um, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, John, uh, I can't thank you enough. I had such a good time talking with you, buddy. And, um, so if you have anything
4: you want to promote,
3: uh, please do. I know you have the new record, just whatever you want to promote. Go ahead.
4: Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah. just. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a self promoter, uh, except that there, there is a really good X record called alphabet land. It's on fat possum records. um, I'm going to do a show, an internet show on Thursday, the day after um, inauguration day. And it's, uh, it's on a platform called Mandolin. Uh, It's on my Instagram, eight o'clock central time on Thursday, the 21st.
3: Perfect. And we'll, we'll promote the fuck out of it for you to make sure all the listeners, because this comes out on Wednesday.
4: Uh, And also the movie, don't forget the movie that's in the can. Yeah. DOA. DOA. That's, that's, you know, it's still being edited,
3: so it's not really in the can, then. Oh no, it's in the can, but it's but it's still they're, they're opening the can up every once in a while to tinker with it.
4: Exactly. They're they're in the they're in the midst of actually they're doing the soundtrack, which is uh, frightening. But uh, yeah, there's going to have to be some more voiceover and shit like that. So, all right, I love it, John. I, I had such a great time. Thank you, buddy. It's my pleasure, man. This was this was more fun than I thought it was going to be. Yes.
3: What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only John Doe. I can't thank John enough for coming on. So make sure you get Alphabet Land, the new record from X, and be on the lookout for DOA, his new movie. But go out and watch Roadhouse now if you've never seen it. Follow him on Instagram at T-H-E-E-J-O-H-N-D-O-E. And you can follow him on Twitter at John Doe from X. Or go to his website, johndoe.com now. We just listened to Bob Dylan from 2001. For new music this week, Lil Maddie Pinfield picked David Ramirez, and you are listening to the title track from his latest album, My Love is a Hurricane. David Ramirez is a singer-songwriter from Austin, Texas, whose emotional performances have made him a rising star of the Americana scene. Endorsed by Jason Isbell and Wilco, and compared to one of his idols, Bob Dylan, David toured relentlessly to sold-out intimate venues across America before fucking COVID hit and shut them all down. My Love is a Hurricane is his fifth full-length album to date. I love this song. You're going to dig it, too. Find all the links on the website, 500podcast.com. And if you were in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send us your song, 500 gmail.com put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is the Who Week as we go deep into the 66 sophomore record, A Quick One. It is quick. If you haven't listened, do your homework. Stay fleecy, doogle-doogle. August of
0: 83 Alicia came to rip my city Six days before I was born like to think that was some kind of warning. They say there's power in the rain. I find more power in my name. You gotta know
1: Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18+. Well,
2: hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road.